0: to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Nelson. joined as always by Kevin Zerman. Hello, Kevin. Hey, 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 hey. We're
1: back. It's kind of a quiet season for basketball, huh? There's some
0: FIBA games coming up. DeAndre Ayton is going to be spending part of his summer playing for the Bahamas in Olympic pre-qualifying. Essentially, DeAndre is participating in a tournament leading up to the tournament to qualify uh, for the Olympics uh, beginning in mid-August. And DeAndre is going to be playing for his native Bahamas in a pre-qualifying tournament for the Olympics. And essentially, what this tournament is is it is I think six different um, tournaments going on simultaneously. Five, excuse me, five. There are two each for Europe. There is one for the Americas, which is the one that DeAndre is in. There is one for Africa, and then there's one for I want to say like Oceania or something like yeah,
1: that. Yeah, it's like Australia, something.
0: And so, if their team, if the Bahamas win that tournament, they will qualify for the actual qualifying for the Olympics. Now, the best way to qualify for the Olympics is to play in the Feeble World Cup, which Suns fans will be at least a little bit familiar with at this point, because Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson are going to be playing for Team USA— Um, That is the best way to qualify for the Olympics. That's how the U.S. is probably going to qualify for the Olympics unless something goes horribly wrong. Uh, But Bahamas, Nigeria, other teams that we'll be keeping an eye on did not actually qualify for that World Cup. So now they've got to go in this pre-qualifying stage and then another qualifying stage where I believe it's going to be 24 total teams in July of next year, and there's only going to be four. So it's interesting because those take place during the NBA uh, Offseason, and I would assume or presume that DeAndre's involvement this uh, this upcoming uh, mid-August and in, in about a week and a half here indicates that he is willing to not only play now but play in July potentially, and then in the Olympics as well. It's kind of a it's kind of a a long-term commitment of sorts. Uh, I would assume. Maybe he's just trying to get some running. I don't really know exactly. He's on a team with Kai Jones and Buddy Heald. Kai and Buddy played a little bit during World Cup qualifying, but it, some of it takes place during the NBA season. Remember, DeAndre was out there last, uh, I want to say. We thought he was going to play, I Last thought. summer, and we thought we got reports that he was going to play, but he's officially on the roster and is expected to play in their games. That's coming in mid-August. I believe August 14th is the first game. If you've never watched a FIBA tournament, congratulations for being a normal person. You can watch them on FIBA's YouTube Channel. I'm so.
1: I'm excited to watch Da in like a just a different setting. You know he's going to be one of the better players. They actually do have some good pieces he's around probably,
0: him. He, not probably he is their best player. I yeah, would say. yeah.
1: Um, but I'm I'm going to watch. It's like what what's in mid uh, mid August? That World Cup is later. I think so Ahsoka's that, coming out. Wow, huge whoa, month ahead for us and our watching.
0: We've got Big Twelve possibilities. We'll talk about <laughs> later, uh, and then. Uh, there's that in mid-August, like you said, and then I believe the World Cup starts in late August and goes until mid-September, like September <laughs> 10th. And then three weeks later, it's media day. So it's kind of crazy how even though it is the offseason, it feels like nothing is happening. There's certainly nothing happening right now, but there is going to be international basketball on, which is going to be uh, fun to watch. So here's how we're going to do today's podcast. As you can tell by the uh, labels everywhere, we are revisiting, um, ranking... Just kind of zooming out and looking at the West as a whole, of course, we're going to have a Suns perspective on this, but this is going to be mostly NBA talk, so if you want to find the Sun segments, you can dance around. I will spoil it and say that they're the second highest team that I've rated in the West. I have the Nuggets number one. Spoiler alert, so if you want to go dance ahead to part two and listen to that, we are going to start this uh, part. We're going to do part one today. Um, And part two later in this recording as well. Lower half of the West today. uh, To do the lower half of the West, but we're going to start the conversation, which we're going to do right now, on how the West looks as a whole. And if we believe that parody is on the rise, it's stalled out, it's it's taking a step back. Because if you are a newer NBA fan, one of, not one of, just like, really the only problem with covering the NBA or, or watching it as a fan was that you knew LeBron James was going to come out of the East and you knew it was going to be the Spurs or someone else coming out of the West, right? You just kind of knew the Lakers and Kobe, whoever it was, right? And it always just felt like there were three or four teams that could win the championship and that was it. And last year, we had so many moments where it was like, are the Pelicans the best team in the West? Are the Grizzlies the best team in the West? Are the Suns the best team in the West? Are the Nuggets the best team in the West? And we kind of just kept dancing around and trying to figure out who exactly was the favorite out here. There was a little bit of something in March where we were like, is it just going to be the Kings? Is it going (laughs) to be the Kings? And again, we we kept bouncing around trying to figure it out. Dallas makes the big move for Kyrie, and you're like, oh, man, like in Dallas Dallas, that's not a 1-8 that anyone would want to embark on in, in a matchup specifically. So we just kept dancing around, and eventually the only thing, and I write this in the piece, that prevents the Nuggets from being treated as the end-all, be-all, definitive favorite was that when Nikola Jokic stepped off the floor, they were a very bad basketball team. And when Nikola Jokic was on the floor, they were the best team in the league. And that balance usually doesn't work that well. But What happened in the playoffs is their net rating was exactly 0.0 when he was off the court, conveniently enough. We'll talk about them later. But... What I'm seeing right now, based on the odds and the win totals, and to spoil it, I have tiers coming out um, to kind of separate the teams beyond just rankings. I have the Suns and the Nuggets in their own tier, and then I write that basically 3-11 through 11 I think is a crapshoot. I have no idea. Um, I have a good um, enough opinion and stance on it to like place these teams in certain orders and, and prefer- preferential stuff, things like that. But Vegas right now, uh, via FanDuel, has the Nuggets at plus 480 to win the title, then Suns at plus 850, so a big difference between the two of them still. But then the Warriors are all the way at plus 1,400. And then when you go to over-unders for win totals for the season, the Nuggets are at 53.5, the Suns are at 52.5, and and then it is the Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Timberwolves, Pelicans, Thunder, and Kings, all between 48.5 and 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 44.5. So Vegas believes that there's a cutoff. Do you think we're back to where it feels like again it's three it's just these one of these two teams going to come out of the west or do you still believe like I write in the piece that I think 10 teams still could come out of the west? Um I'm not I'm not ruling it out.
1: Yeah, anymore. I mean the the healthy part of the Nuggets season last year I think plays a big role. Um I think the Suns honestly if even if they're like experimenting resting guys, making their sh- good for the playoffs i I'm not sure they come out of the west even I think they'll be up there um but if we're looking at just health, like I think there could be two or three of those that we don't really know who could shoot up, like do the Mavericks suddenly just like okay, off season. Repackage some things around Luka and Kyrie. Do they suddenly jump into that? Do the Lakers, if they're healthy, do they jump into that? Clippers, again, they should be there. Mm-hmm. Pelicans should be there. Grizzlies should be there. So it, it really is just, like, health and do these things come together? And
0: and, and your, your talent?
1: Talent's all the same as last year, basically. Like, you look at coaching changes. The Suns are the only one of these that matter, really. I just see it kind of of the same as last year, end of last year.
0: It's your talent producing the way that it should. Yes. Because I think that, like I said, I don't think that the Warriors are more talented than the Pelicans. Like, I don't really see it. The Pelicans don't have Seth Curry, and that's probably going to be the difference. Like, the Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If healthy, the Clippers have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They could have James Harden with him as well. But you go through all of these teams, and I really don't believe. Like, I think the Kings might be the most well-rounded team in the entire conference right now, and they have a top-five point guard and a top-five center. It's like, what's what's to stop them? It's the only the only thing stopping them really is if there's not a big jump coming from Keegan Murray. And like, we'll, we'll we'll get more into them and other teams and some teams are game. more
1: volatile like the suns in yes. theory could be volatile if one of their stars gets hurt and then suddenly you're dealing with a lot of the figuring out role players without the stars pelicans zion clippers yeah. health
0: i couldn't i was just bouncing back and forth pretty much between every single team and yeah. more so focusing on either negative or positive based on what the overall um, conclusions are on each team and something that i wrote for the sun specifically is if we're in april and we're still trying to figure out who their fifth and sixth best players are, they're in trouble. But, but if they figure mm-hmm. this out by January, which is when most teams figure that out, and I believe when they will figure it out, I think they're going to be the team to beat. So assuming the big three and the big the big four, I, as I should put it, uh, is working out okay. Um, so in just to kind of end that discussion, you are still with me that it's not just two teams and you do... To be clear, what I'm saying is if the Pelicans win the West, I am not going to be absolutely bamboozled and shocked. Will I be surprised? Of course I'll be surprised. But will I be absolutely stunned if the Clippers or the Warriors... To be clear, I put it as 10 teams. Yeah, The 10 teams that I have are the Nuggets, Suns, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Grizzlies, Mavericks, Timberwolves. Yeah, I said it.
1: Uh, The
0: Pelicans and the Kings. I'm only disqualifying the Thunder, who I'm very high on. We'll talk about them in part two. I'm only disqualifying them because they're so young. They don't have any playoff experience, and I don't think they can win win the West based on that. Now, what we have seen is a trend in the last couple of years where teams with no playoff experience going into the playoffs seem unfazed by that. The Kings, I mean, it's a first-round exit, but everyone forgets if De'Aaron Fox doesn't break his hand, if Harrison Barnes hits that three, if Steph doesn't go absolutely nuts in Game 7, that they could start to take that down. Their inexperience really only showed in Game 7, and that was it. Um but I, I do believe that maybe to the, that's being a bit extreme to the to the noise that you made in response to that, Kevin. But those are the ten teams that I'm not, like, I'll rule out the other five teams right now not winning the West. Like I'll, I'll do that right now at this m- moment. But I'm not willing to rule out the other ten teams yet. Not willing to do it. Maybe I'll do it in three weeks into the season, but right now, no.
1: Did you name the Thunder in those ten? You didn't, right?
0: No. Okay. I'm ruling them out right now. Okay. But we'll, we? <laughs> we'll get to them. I'm, I'm excited about them. Okay. You're with me?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Shall
0: we'll, we'll we jump go into, into this? We'll go to specific teams, and you can kind of tell me who you're sold on, who you're, who you're uh, not as sold on. But, again, we're in part one. We're going to get to the bottom half of the conference if you're more interested in, like, the top of the top. But, again, we're going to get to, like, I have teams here uh, in part one of the series. By the way, I don't think I said this. This is on ArizonaSports.com. I wrote a lot of words. Kevin basically let. We're going to split this
1: podcast. We're going to split this podcast into two, so you can.
0: We're going to even split the podcast into two. Okay, we'll start at the bottom and go from here and break uh, the the worst four teams into one yeah. piece. Basically, we've got the Blazers, who I put in their own tier, and I named it. Did you trade Damian Lillard <laughs> yet? Because I don't know where to put them exactly, and then the other tier is surprisingly plucky. That's where I put the Spurs, the Rockets and the Utah Jazz, I believe all three of those teams, I think one of those teams is going to suck. They're just going to be really, really bad. But I do think that at least two of those teams, not at least, at least one of those teams, probably two of them, is going to be competitive enough to where they could beat any team on any night, essentially. And that's the the age-old saying, Monty would say it all the time, like, this is the NBA, and he would compare it to 20, 30 years ago where like the the NBA is just too talented now and to our overall conversation one point I did want to make there that I didn't is there's talk of like expansion in Seattle the rumors are coming like the talent is perfect for that there are times when the league s- expanded talent-wise oh, it made zero sense
1: you get Gerald Wallace and zero you is get, that the Charlotte you get those Bobcats, Bobcats
0: rosters. the I was looking at um after doing a hoops grid I was looking at um, the Grizzlies history exactly and you forget that they won like 19, 19, 17, like they just had no chance early on um, I, I think the league's town is at a point now where that's, that's really fitting and that goes to some of these teams where for example, the Spurs, there's, a, there's a condition, like there's a win condition of sorts here for these teams where they could be 30-35 win teams. The Spurs one is pretty obvious. Victor Weminyama is awesome right away, and we're talking about him as a potential all-star in his first year. I think the Utah Jazzes is really simple. They just play the way that they did last year. The Rockets have two guys who were top three picks in the last two years, and either of them could explode this year, and they've got a lot of really good, encouraging, young talent Behind them They brought in vets We'll get to that I don't know How the combination's Going to work Exactly There's one guy I'm specifically talking about But Portland is the one Where we just don't know What they're going to look like With Dame. With these four teams I mentioned Which one intrigues you the most you have the most to say on Who who stands out um, I don't think
1: Houston Or San Antonio Are actually going to be that good Still
0: You think they're still going to suck Yeah I mean I, th- I agree with your they tears They both won 22 games last year Okay Right now, I just don't think Vegas has it at twenty eight point five for the Spurs and thirty one point five for the Rockets. So they are projecting serious improvement for Here, both of those. Here's
1: teams. the crazy thing: if you combined their their non problems together, they'd be great, and I'd be like, this thing's gonna <laughs> blow up, right? Houston has a bunch of guys who can be on the ball, who can score, who can create. Porter Jr., Jalen, like I, I love their pieces. Van Vliet to some degree, but I just... I know Doka's probably a good coach. I don't have any belief that he can suddenly just click them into playing defense. Like, just not doing the things like when the Suns were terrible in this past decade where, like, they'll be competing just fine and then you start see the threads, like, pulling and then it just falls out and then they're down 20 in the game. Like, I don't know how you get over that. I don't think... Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks can solve all of those issues, although they can do a little bit. And then I see the Spurs with the other problem: they don't have enough dribble guys. They, uh, I guess they have shooting. If Vassell takes a leap enough, where he can like start doing like the Mikkel Bridges of this past year, obviously not to that degree, but even just to uh, look like it was kind of sort of happening last year, like click, hey, bud. Go score 20. We need that from you. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. Then I I think that maybe they can. And if Yama I think he's going to have some people are going to go at him. I think he's not going to have consistency, but I think he's going to flash all year. Um, But he's going to help. So, yeah, 35 wins, Maybe each of those teams but then you get into all the other great teams and it's hard to kind of just
0: make the math work right yeah i that's the important part here is that from a from a math perspective you have to understand that there has got to be one or two teams in here that wins under 25 games in order for all of these teams to finish we're either going to see a bunch of 41 39 win teams in like the sixth seed yeah or we're going to see some win totals like last year, for example, to kind of bring it together. Denver 53, Memphis 51, Sacramento 48, and then between 45 and 42, we had six teams, and then the Thunder were at 40, Dallas 38, Utah 37, Portland 33, and then, like I said, 22 for Houston and San Antonio. I think my pick for the question that I asked is San Antonio. I'm... Worried is a heavy word, you know? It's it's a heavy word. But the thing that stood out to me the most from watching Wenbin Yama in Vegas is that every single night, at least for the uh, foreseeable future, we'll see by year three or year four of his career, but every team, they're only going to have one thing in mind. is like making him look like a punk, basically. Like punking yeah. him, basically. That's yeah. all they're going to be focused on. and. I'm not saying it's the coaching staff doing that. I just say from a players-on-the-floor mindset, they want to go at him and show that he sucks. And that is just an undeniable thing that has existed in basketball since the beginning of time, is looking across from someone, and for whatever reason, they just take you off, and you're like, I want to put this guy in the dirt. I want to prove that he doesn't belong on the same floor as me. And he is going to be that guy in the league for at least this year, and maybe longer, and that just comes with a lot of maturity that he's going to have to have, it's going to have to come with extreme amounts of adversity because let's say they play the Pelicans the opening night. Guess who's getting the ball the first six possessions? Jonas. Like Jonas is getting the ball every single possession. They're going to put him
1: in screen action. Yeah. and And
0: if he's guarding Zion, for example, on New Orleans, guess who's getting the ball every time. You know what I mean? Like it's, they are going to relentlessly go at him and, I think that it's just going to have to take a while for him to adapt to that and also figure out a way to make that stop. Because if, look, if he, it took four years for DeAndre to stop getting challenged by perimeter guards on switches. They just saw him as food and then he would, Reggie Jackson couldn't get by him and it was like, what, 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 yeah. <laughs> what? what's going on here? Um, he's going to need moments like that. I like Vassell a lot. I like Jeremy Sohan a lot. The nugget that I included in the story is that if you weren't paying attention to the Spurs in the second half of the season, which I don't blame you, he started shooting one-handed free throws. You might remember seeing it on TikTok or whatever. um, And he improved his shot. And I think for a a rookie to do that is a whole lot different than a veteran changing their free throw attempt because we've all been in the stadium before when that happens, when Chuck Hayes is like taking four seconds to do his up. Plumlee's Plumlee. doing
1: lefties. And- I was
0: there at those playoff games when he was taking those, and the crowd, every time, will just kind of start laughing, but also being absolutely transfixed by them and being like, what is... Why does that look so unnatural? Oh, that's not his hand that he shoots with. That's why. Yeah. Good so pick up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think that he's going to be good. There's a weird Keldon Johnson thing going on, because I looked into him quite a bit when I was looking up trade possibilities with D.A., where it, I don't know if he stagnated last year but Vassell <laughs> clearly leaped above him and Sohan's probably above him too so all of a sudden 2 years ago 3 years ago you're talking about the guy that's on the Olympic team and now you're talking about the guy who is probably overpaid on their team for what they they need out of him I guess and I said like is this a Tyreek Evans situation where he was just a little bit too good too fast and he kind of can't figure out how to get better from here uh-huh. I don't know exactly. I don't want to set off too many red flags to be clear. I don't think that's happening. But that's, that's San Antonio to me. I think they're going to suck. Uh, I'm worried about point guard. I think the Trey Jones is going to be good. But Devontae and Cam behind Cam's that. Cam's going to actually be very useful. Cam is going to be also useful and also important. And I think that he's going to play well for them. But I just think that they clearly... The Chris Paul trade was so fascinating because it just made so much sense to going to them. And it felt like if they could have gotten the right kind of veteran point guard in there, which I think is what Cam is going to be for them, then they could have had a real chance to be good. Um, to quickly skip past Houston, uh, I believe in Smith a lot, Jabari Smith Jr. I love Alper and Shengun. I yeah. love Tari Eason. Jay Shante kind of faded away, and I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Wasn't watching much Rocket State, but I still believe that he's a good glue guy at the very latest. I think Jock's going to be really good there. I think Jeff Green's going to be good there. Um, Amon Thompson, I, to be honest, I had not seen the Thompson Twins play no. until Vegas. And I was like, oh, you guys are exactly this the type why, of player that I like. Yeah, like this, this is why this is, you're, is, top, what, you're top What? you You're basically a Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. We're taking you second overall. We know you're not going to be averaging 27 points per game at any point, but you just do a bunch of winning things all over the floor. Tough comparison with how Michael Kidd-Gilchrist's uh, career turned out. They're not going to be as bad as that, to say the least. But that kind of top five pick where Jabari was in the same sort of grouping he has more star potential, surely, but there's just the the appeal starts with what you are as a base player with how much you help winning. I think he's going to be good for them. I think Fred VanVleet is really good, and to to my point on what San Antonio needs, that's what Houston needed, and they bring it with him. I hope he's ready to take seven shots some nights because yeah. he's playing with Dylan Brooks in the backcourt as well as Jalen Green and Jabari Smith who need the ball. I'm very curious to see how. Of all the X-Factors for them, I actually do think it's VanVleet and Brooks, the guys who you expect to be the most steady from the veteran mindset at least. Those are the two guys who are going to have to sacrifice the most. It's actually not going to be the young guys because the primary goal here, and I wrote this, Udoka's biggest thing is going to be untapping the potential from Green and Smith because if they do that, they're going to be a playoff team by 2025. If they don't, they might have to blow it up again. Like, yeah. it, it, it really does hinge on these two guys and how good – they are going to be exactly because I, I think that the pieces around them are really good so they are the most volatile to me of the bottom half teams I'll say I think they're going to suck again I think that they'll be really fun I think they'll win 28 games they'll make improvements my sleeper team here is the Utah Jazz tell us tell us why you and I kept coming back and doing this show every week, and we kept reading off those standings, and we kept saying, Utah's just still there. They're still there. They just traded Mike Conley and Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley. Sexton's not even playing anymore, and they're just still there. Marketing got hurt. And then eventually, with 11 games to go in the year, they were 35-36. and They were a 500-basketball team. And then Sexton played a game after that, and then I think Mark and played three. They lost all three of those, and then they shut them down. Were they really hurt? I don't know. Whatever it was, they stopped playing. People in Utah can cite to that more than they can. But I think the biggest um, appeal to me, I, I cited, do you remember that game in Utah? Like 15 games into the year? It was like Against 134, Suns, yeah. 133. Jordan Clarkson had a couple of big shots, so the Suns lost. I left that being like, Hardy's legit. Yeah. The way that they're playing, like the way we're seeing Clarkson and Sexton and guys that, not selfish players by any means, but guys who needed to make that transition into learning how to affect winning the most more than anything. And they were Gerald, doing
1: it. Gerald Green on Suns, what, 13-14 type stuff? Exactly. Them, kind of. That's a really good comparison. Although yeah. Clarkson had more of a resume and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's... I guess he was on good Lakers teams or competitive ones to some yeah. degree. So,
0: And they threw out—I I remember writing a preview piece for playing the Jazz later in the year and being like, hey, Lyra Markkinen's probably going to be an all-star. Look at this. He no. can just score everywhere. He's awesome. And him playing alongside both Olenek and Kessler or whoever it was exactly that was in there. And— it just worked. Like the supersize lineup works because Mark and him actually played the three in Cleveland. Yeah, and got to learn how to do that, learn how to play that spot defensively. Seven footer flying off screens on the wing mm. or on the elbow. Yeah, he got he was so good at bully ball last year. I don't know what the stas- statistics said, but whenever I watched him, at least it was there. Um, Walker Kessler is to me the number one guy I'm looking forward to watching uh, on in the World Cup because I haven't seen him in that type of role on a different team.
1: He was and, like. Far and away, there's someone else up there in blocks, maybe Rudy or something last year, but his yeah. block numbers, rates, oh. ex- insane.
0: Um, he is he is conveniently the best young defensive center we've seen since Rudy. Where yeah, it's like this guy could win Defensive Player of the Year. That's how good that he looks defensively. Um, and they've been those guys have been sandwiching Kelly Olynyk, and now Kelly Olynyk is John Collins. John Collins had a rough year. Free last John year,
1: Collins,
0: but he he they got him for free. Yeah, uh, and this basically boils down to how you believe in him. Uh, the story there, and it, it it shares some similarities with Ayton, not including the twenty five game suspension that both of them had. But two years ago, like DeAndre, the same postseason, he was the second best player on a Eastern Conference Finals team. He was really good in the playoffs. I just remember watching those games, and being like, man, he's playing so well. And then he kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Atlanta has 14 guys. They've got a new backcourt. It didn't go well for him there. But here is like the perfect sort of like it's such a great cushion of a reset for him to just kind of settle down. For the third straight team, though, and this is where I'm like, are are point guards? Like, do point guards exist anymore? (laughs) Because I look at this team, and they've got Clarkson and Sexton, who, again, I said they've made strides as playmakers. But there's a Taylor Horton Tucker thing going on here. I don't really know what to think of it. (laughs) And then they need more wings. Ochi Abaji is someone we really liked in the pre-draft process, both you and I, out of Kansas. Uh, I think that he's looking more and more like the player that we thought we would expect him to be. Haven't seen a lick of Taylor Hendricks, but everything that I read about him, out of UCF, glue guy stuff, bigger wing, rebounds, block shots, defensive specialist of sorts. Sounds like exactly what they need. They are the one team to me out of all of these. Like, I think there's just a clear divide here, three through 11, like I said, but Utah, I wouldn't be surprised if they won forty-two games next year, and they were the seventh seed. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think Markin is that good. I think the, the only thing missing in your head is the star. And it's like it, he just made the All Star team in the West last year. Like legitimately, he deserved it. Do you Plus remember like injury replacement crap?
1: Like he deserved it. Do you remember what he came out the year after Ayton, One mm-hmm. year at Arizona, Sean Miller was like, "This is the best player through my program ever, most talented." And I was like, "Wait, you just had the number one overall?" Okay. Um there's a reason he said that and Suns fans probably are laughing at that, but Aiden was still really good in college. Um and also he's had like Sean Miller had Aaron Gordon, that kind of player, so he does not say things like that unless he means it and like that's why I'm not surprised about Laurie, like just kind of taking a little time finding the right situation to be as good as we we kind of thought he could be. Um You have
0: Clippers on this list. I was going to ask you. Pretty low. So I have um, Tier 1, Head and Shoulders, meaning the top two we talked about. Tier 2 is Knocking on the Door, which is I believe that these teams are a lot closer. These three teams are a lot closer than people think to those top two, and they could easily beat those teams in the playoff series if they're playing well. Tier 3. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what I referred to it as. Is I said, "Are you sure you're on the list?" With a question mark, and it's essentially is, "Are you sure you're a contender?" And it's three teams where I feel extremely good about them being a good basketball team, but can they be a great basketball team? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And the tier beyond that is basically tier three again. But like, I need to see it. Yeah. I I can't. I can't believe in you again. I. I can't get fooled by you again, and I'm putting the Pelicans not on this list. I'm putting them on Tier 3. You could argue they should be in Tier 4, but these are the three teams. I've got the Minnesota Timberwolves 11th, I've got the LA Clippers 10th, and I've got the Dallas Mavericks 9th. Which of those teams, so I believe, here's my prediction... This season is going to go horribly wrong for one of those three teams. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one is it going to be, Kevin Thurman? Ooh. You've got Jason Kidd and Kyrie Irving together. You've got the team that never stays healthy and all of a sudden doesn't have as much depth as you once th- thought in the Clippers, who might trade more <laughs> of that depth to get James Harden, who it's been rocky. And then you've got the Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Jalen McDaniels punching walls, Rudy Gobert punching teammates. Should- Okay. Anthony Edwards changing numbers that's, that's just a random fact that doesn't that, that wasn't a bad thing. That's
1: that not a random fact. That should be accounted for that you're punching teammates punching walls. The but changed, I think so. that team is the least volatile. Like I think that team is maybe, you know, 40 40 to 48 wins. Yeah. Which maybe that's volatile, I don't know, but I don't think like, I think I know where they, they'll they land. I think they'll be fine. They'll be competitive in some if Edwards takes a leap.
0: It's it's kind of that quartet, right, where you know Ant's going to be awesome. Yeah. You know that Mike Conley's going to be rock solid. You know that Kyle Anderson's going to be rock solid. And you know Nas is going to be really good.
1: Carl it's and just, Rudy are who they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll work out, but they're still impactful basketball they're players. They're still
0: very, very good. Uh, it's just can you win a title with them, which is no, the one, why you trade no. for and uh, protect first round. Yes. And you can't. <laughs> you cannot. I don't even win two playoff series, but... But I believe in that team
1: with more certainty. I think... I guess I should believe in the Clippers, too, because even if dudes are not healthy, like, I spent so much time with that series in Phoenix, or with Phoenix, saying, like, I believe in Ty Lue. There's a reason the Suns probably could have, like, tried to get Ty Lue as their coach, because he's really good. He gets the most out of all of his players. They fight every night. So, their bottom is not high. So, to answer your question, I guess I'm going with the Dallas Mavericks because I don't believe in the talent around their two very good players. I don't believe their two very good players can... I think they can figure out a way to win games, but I'm worried of, like, just mostly the Kyrie personality. And I think Luke is probably not the easiest guy to deal with if you're doing the ex- stuff Kyrie might do. And, like... I don't want to say they're bad teammates and all that stuff, but I just see Kyrie getting grumpy about something and Luca not putting up with it. I don't think it's... Like, when we say Book, KD, and Bradley Beal can coexist, like, there are going to be problems on the court and figuring out just the flow and all that and how things you transition between who's doing what. But I think they're going to be fine, but I'm not confident about the two personalities in Dallas. I'm not confident that their head coach, from what we know about him in the past, is going to be the perfect guy to like be like, Hey, guys, let's meet and talk and be honest and figure things out. I just don't believe that. And then again, I don't believe in the talent around them. So, yeah, th- that's my pick for, like, things could go awfully for that
0: team. Let's go back to the Wolves for a second. Okay. Well, when I talk about under the radar, I'm talking all the technology in the world is not going to find this on the radar for this point, to be clear. Here are the Wolves' best players in no particular order. They've got Mike Conley and Anthony Edwards. they got Kyle Anderson. they got Nas Reed. they got Jaden McDaniels. they got Carl Anthony Townsend and Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Seven guys.
1: I like all those players.
0: Who's our eighth best player? I don't know. So they've Just got Nikhil Alexander-Walker. <laughs> okay. they got Shake Milton. My point here oh, okay. is, before we run through the names... Jalen Noel, who was mixed for them, he's still a free agent. That's the thing is that like Kelly Oubre oh. Jr. could be signed by one of these teams. There's still some free agent things we're waiting for yeah. right now to happen. We should have cited that earlier, but with that in mind, Jalen Noel played a lot of minutes for them, and Torian Prince played a lot of minutes for them. And here are the replacement candidates: Nikhil Alexander Walker, who had some playoff moments. Yeah, like, looked kind of fun. Looked like some might be happening there. Uh, longtime favorite of yours. Yeah, Shake okay. Milton, longtime favorite of mine. Yeah, I like that. Jordan McLaughlin. RIP Pac-12, we'll have more on that later. (laughs) Troy Brown Jr., RIP Pac-12 Part 2. Yeah. Remember Wendell Moore out of of Duke? He looms. He looms. They took Leonard Miller in the first round. Uh, Oh. They got Josh Minot. Minot, I can't remember. He's a similar kind of just like high upside grab. Um, Luca Garza and Jalen Clark are on two ways. Do you think there's a clear eighth best player there?
1: No, but I like their options of guys who could pop into there.
0: If Kyle Anderson gets hurt, they're screwed, or Mike Conley. Yeah, they're they're absolutely screwed. Alexander Walker, I could say. Um. Now you can play the injury game with anyone. To be clear, but I'm saying like the depth options, just it's rough. It's it's brutal. Is Brown Junior? He's like competent. I don't know, man. I don't think so. <laughs> okay, I'm hesitant. Uh, but, but if you play low.
1: that game with Dallas, like. I don't know if I see anything different.
0: So the Clippers are low. Yeah. I think that I have them low. Yeah. Here's my issue. Okay. Didn't write this. Ty Lue. Yeah. top three head coach in the world. Doesn't have a new contract right now. He does not. Uh, His one flaw, according to those who follow the team closely than I do, more closely, closer, doesn't like playing young guys. He's got to play Kenny Martin Jr. He's got to play Bones Island. That's where their team is at right now.
1: He played Bones Highland in the playoffs and I think Kenny Martin Jr. will do this do enough to earn trust. Like do Terrence Man stuff. It, it's
0: it's the trust factor. Because yeah. Terrence Man Jr. has been one of their five best players now for three years in a row. And he still kind of is in that range where he doesn't really get playing time necessarily. But
1: does he do enough? Does he give you enough? Like I think he played Bones. Not necessarily because he thought Bones was doing great, because there were legit, like, are you going to bench Bones talk? Mm-hmm. But he also is very aware, like, oh, no, we need
0: a little scoring pop. You got to play, bud. So I think he's aware. I really like their guard rotation. You got Russ. Yeah. Which, talk about it, eight, uh, takes aging well. Good job by us. Out of way. Norman Powell. That guy's good. Is he great? Do they need him to be great? I don't think so. He just needs to be good. And then you get to Bones. So it's it's not like they're absolutely relying on Bones by any means, but third guard on the team, I would assume. Maybe it's uh, Russ starting, Norman coming off the bench again with the, who, the, who their five is going to be, not really sure. On the wing, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Terrence Mann, and then it is Nicholas Batum, and this is the part that I wrote is, Nicholas Batum, Marcus Morris, Robert Covertine, all three guys have been declining. They're they're hitting that yeah. wall. Knees, man. man. And, and knees are <laughs> tough. And it's a it's coming at a bad time because now they need Kenny Martin Jr., and that's why I'm going to say there's going to be nights where he keeps playing Batum over Martin and Twitter's going to be freaking out. And They're just going to be like, why is he not playing Kenny Martin Jr.? I think that that's going to be a problem for them. Uh, but then uh, a rock solid part and underrated part of their team like, Zubach Plumley, like, in terms of par- center partnerships in the league, like, that's top five, probably, in the league? Yeah. N- neither guy Never is fun. top ten at the position. I'm not saying that by any means, but uh, I think, again, it comes back to health. Um, I think that they're positioned better than a team like Minnesota, for example, if injuries hit, because I do think that if Paul George or Kawhi Leonard gets hurt, that just forces him to play Terrence Mann more, and it forces him to play Martin more, and they'll be okay. Uh, but going to Dallas, and and this is the similar kind of— so, they are the most polarizing team. You, Jeremy's holding up a James Harden sign. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Joel Embiid saved that man from a week of first take, and I'll leave it at that. Look at the numbers at the end of the series. It's happened, how many series now? Six? It's been six playoff series in a row where he's done this? Not in a row, but the, the wall in the... Second round, Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals, whatever you want to call it. Exactly, it's been hit. There's the James Harden take. Can't read that. Oh, all right. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get to it in part off. two. We'll have <laughs> cat's talk it. Don't you people? Worry. We have cat's
1: talk today. yeah.
0: All the people protesting outside our building, asking if we've been silenced. We have not been, been by choice. The Mavericks, <laughs> polarizing Kevin. Do the same thing you did with the Wolves for the Mavericks. Please. Okay, let please, me, sir. But let me bounce it back to you. Okay, of your concerns with them, and this is why I feel like nine might have been too high. But I just like the Luka Kyrie thing. Luka and Kyrie are so good. Even when they yeah. were barely holding on for wins, Kyrie was single handedly winning them games at the end of the year, and I was like, oh my gosh, like these two together, it's incredible. Are your concerns I'll, I'll list three? One, where you're going, which is the the team around them slash how do they fit together, like the the balance of it all. Two. The volatility factor of Kyrie and Jason Kittle combined them. Just the volatility factor of either guy and their histories. Three, Luca, And is he ready to be? Because last year he was not ready to be where we, you win 48 games every year with me, which is the Le, Le, Le LeBron thing. You knew every single LeBron team was going to threaten on fifty wins. It didn't matter if Booby Gibson and Mo Williams and Sasha Pavlovich and Zadrunas Salga- got—that's what shade Z, Big Z. Big Z was really good. Larry yeah. Hughes,
1: whoever. Larry Hughes was good. JJ Hickson, not yeah. not
0: Cavs. Larry Hughes so much, but yeah. a lot of hoop grids being played right now, as you can tell, mm-hmm. uh, by us getting getting through the doldrums of um, August. Which three?
1: Which or which three? of those three?
0: Which are you the most worried about? Which one do you think is going to be the most solid? Because I think there's three ways this could go Number wrong. one, because... And number one was, what,
1: the, the guys around them. I don't know what their team is. Like, I know... Me too. Those I, two I are individually really good. But, like, I guess if we compare it to the Suns this past year, like, Book could go crazy... And win them games, but I knew like they had a system, right? And people can get mad at Monty Williams for what is the system. We know what their team was. And even with KD, it changed, but it's like, okay, we know what this team is each night, and it's going to be competitive. I have zero idea because we didn't see it last end of the regular season and all that stuff of how they coexist and have the pieces around them to be good. Like, before that, it was very clear. It was like, Luca, you have to do a lot. We have to play pretty good defense, and we're going to space the crap out of everything. So, you can maybe convince me if we go over this, and I'm like, oh, actually, they do have that identity still, but
0: I'm not sure. Let's let's go there. Okay. um I'll name these guys the Derek White All-Stars. And they are <laughs> the people who are the best glue guys in the league. I think Mikel was... These were the Mikel Bridges All-Stars, but he is transcended. Cam Johnson's in this list. You kind of go through the teams. You'll find the guys. Grant Williams makes the list. Yeah. Are we sure he's better than Doreen Finney-Smith? No. Yeah. I couldn't get past that when I was thinking about this team. I couldn't get past how, one... Alarming it was how much better I felt about them after getting Grant Williams. When, two, I feel like Grant Williams is good. Do I feel like he is... Starter quality for sure. He's supposed to be their third best player, right? I'm reading this right? uh, Yeah, that's where I'm... Okay. Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic are starting. Whoa, yeah. Okay. Grant Williams is starting. For that other spot, here are your choices. Assuming they don't play a big lineup and they just have four centers, right? Seth Curry... Dante Exum, back from an international bit of service. Maybe
1: he's a good shooter now.
0: Jaden Hardy. Josh Green. Very good year for Josh Green. P. Yeah. On the 12, Part 3. Olivier Maxine's No idea. Prosper. He's 6'8", 230. He looks like a wing built in a lab. That's all I know about him. That's it. Which guy is it? Josh Green makes sense, but... Okay, so Josh Green is six five.
1: Josh Green Kyrie needs to is six two. I guess I'm thinking about starting. I don't know who's are you asking who the fourth best player is or third? Who's starting? Okay, yeah. Starting Josh Green.
0: So Grant Williams at the four.
1: Josh Green Which is where
0: he is going to be anyway. Can
1: do perimeter defense stuff, kinda like in a Kogi situation.
0: You need someone out there to defend the guards. You need someone out there to defend Jamal Murray. Great Dearing athlete. Steph. I
1: guess Exum also, if he it's tends either, to be... It's you
0: know. either Exum or Green. I yeah. think Green might need to come off the bench because of the pop you need beyond Seth Curry. But that's it. Okay, the fifth starter. A big? It will be a big. Um, Maxi Kleba wasn't that good last year, and it was just weird. It, it didn't really make sense. Um, he was injured, which was probably Why? But he went from really good everyone loves Maxi Kleba to like what's what's going on there? Rashawn Holmes didn't play in Sacramento for a reason. Mm-hmm. I think Mike Brown would have played him over Alex Len if he if there's a reason. If there was a reason. Uh, for defense, look, the I completely understand as a dive man, I think two, three years ago when Rashawn was getting talked about as a trade chip, I was like send him to Dallas, put him with Luca, he'll be perfect. But this team needs defense, which is where I get to JaVel McGee. Uh, it, it was really rough last year for him. And then Derek Lively Jr., this was the lottery uh, pick that they obviously tanked for. <laughs> On paper, from a scouting report, seeing brief moments of his at Duke, seems like exactly what they need. Seems like the defensive fit, seems like the offensive fit. You're not running sets for him. He's just going to do all the stuff. He's going to do the, the DeAndre Ayton role of 2021, basically. But he's a rookie, he's a young rookie. He was born in 2004. Um, that might be asking a bit too much out of the kid early on. We'll see. I'm with you. This is my not my number one concern. I blend all three of those concerns together. Yeah. Um, I think that what Luka did last year sucked. Coming to camp out of shape. Didn't think he was that kind of guy. Um, we
1: watched FIBA clips of him yesterday for Slovenia. He was shouldering into a guy who went flying, stopped playing basketball during a live play, stared at the man, and then shouldered into some guy who came to help him and got an and-one. Um, he, he needs to have the angry Luka basketball playing abilities off the bat, in good shape. He might be because he's playing this summer. We'll see.
0: So Tim McMahon said over the summer basically that Luca showed up to training camp weighing two sixty. He's a very large man. Um he can wear that weight well to a certain extent, but it was clear watching him like he just was gonna get going through the regular season. And when you're this guy, that just can't happen. Like we haven't we haven't had this type of talk about a star in a long time. It's been a while, like yeah, it comes up with Zion or whatever, but yeah. There's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with it. And it was just, it, as a basketball fan, it was disappointing because, like I said, in theory, you put Luka or Giannis or Steph or Jokic or Embiid or whoever, LeBron, on a team. They should win at least 45 games, 50. They could be surrounded by the three of us on the court and they should still <laughs> win that many games. But this team was just not good all year. They were never even, they never even had that like three week stretch where you're like, here it comes. Never happened. And that's on him. It's just on him. So that part I expanded on a bit because I think the Kyrie, Jason Kidd stuff speaks for itself. There were some Jason Kidd quotes towards the end of the year. Do you remember those? We were like, oh, my gosh. He was just blatantly calling out his team in the media. Just blatantly. Um, game after game. Shutting down people. And then there's the death. So those are the lists of reasons why I'm skeptical about them. But look. Every single day, so that what I said about Luca last year, he clearly took that, he clearly learned from this, because there's clips every day of him working out, and like, yes, Instagram workouts, whatever you want to call them. Got engaged. He is, he's a happier man with a (laughs) long-term future in his life, romantically, I don't know where he wanted me to take that I tried my best. He's he's working on himself. He's he's next step in his life. He's blah, clearly blah, 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 learned blah. from it and you can watch him in the Slovenia uh, friendlies that he was playing like he looks like he's in much better shape right now already. Like better shape than he was in at the end of last season. Like he just kept it going essentially and he learned from it. He's he's 24 years old. It's he's made first team all NBA every year since his second year in the league. <laughs> like he's He's incredible, but they need him to be incredible, and he just wasn't that incredible um, last year in terms of this, doing the superstar stuff uh, as we talk about it. Um, I did not mention Tim Hardaway Jr., by the way, as a candidate there. He'll, he'll come off the bench, but this, that's a problem is they need Dante Exum to be the revamped three-point shooter defensive specialist guy because Seth Curry's out there for offense, Tim's out there for offense, Josh Green is out there for two-way stuff, but then after that, Jaden Hardy's out there for offense. Yeah. It's too much offense. Their defense was laughable last year when Kyrie got there. It was it was horrific, um, and maybe Luke is the guy to take a step forward defensively. I, I don't know, but I'm pessimistic on them as a whole. All right, we'll wrap up part one. There' uh, a lot to get to in part two right now, but yeah, it's crazy to divide it up here and think like I can I can see Dallas with the trophy. Like I can I can see yeah. It. I can see it. I can well, see it. No,
1: no, I can't. I can't see that with no, this you roster. Can't. Not with this roster, no. Okay, we'll have
0: to get your final <laughs> number, because well, I'm still sticking with 10. But you're Kay. you're ruling them out right there. After we rolled through After the next. Curry and Dante
1: XME, we're exactly. no, like, ah, no, 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 ah, I don't
0: know. All right, uh, part two should be in your feeds. We're releasing these, sim- these simultaneously. So if you're looking for it and it's not there for some reason, tweet at us. It's our fault, probably. Or it's Definitely. your service not working, but I'll, I'll t- we'll take the blame more often than not. All right, we'll be back for part two.